hey, who do you know that might feel ready to give up on multi-level marketing or network marketing? Or who do you know that enjoys the statistics and a business plan? If you know someone, or if you're that person, you will want to hear this episode with Jordan Adler. He was on his 12th company in 10 years before he ever really made any significant income. And his story is amazing. Welcome to the MLM You Decide podcast. We're your hosts, Janine Finney and Laura Evans. Each week, we'll bring you conversations about the good and the misunderstood aspects of MLM, multi-level marketing, network marketing. It's time to get informed because making a decision with only half the information could be the most expensive decision you make. Let's dive into today's episode. I'm so excited to have a special guest joining us today who has been a friend of mine for over 25 years. I mean, it's hard to even believe it. I don't know where the time goes because we certainly haven't aged, but um, that is true from a calendar perspective. It's been over 25 (laughs) years and we've done so many fun things together and worked through a lot of things together. And it's just just a personal treat for me to be able to share him with this audience because his story and and, uh, what his journey is so amazing. So I'm talking about Jordan Adler. At 34 years old, Jordan Adler was living in an enclosed garage. His rent was $200 a month and he had two roommates. He carried $36,000 in credit card debt on 22 credit cards and his job paid him $14,000 a year. Over the past 27 years, he has become one of the top network marketers in the world, earning in excess of over $23 million. Jordan wrote the worldwide bestseller and one of my personal favorites, Beach Money, and 100% of his profits go to charity. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. His book has been out for 10 years and still sells thousands of copies. He just launched a second book, Better Than Beach Money, in 2019, and his publishing company, Beach Money Publications, was just launched within the past 90 days. I love that, Jordan. Um, Jordan splits his time between two mountain homes and a condo on the Vegas Strip and, of course, the beach. Four years ago, he decided to get his helicopter pilot's license for fun and recently purchased his own helicopter. He's also scheduled to become the first network marketer to travel to space as part of Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic Civilian Space Program. Jordan's, Jordan believes uh, in big dreams and will work hard and never quit is a secret to his success. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Jordan. Thank you, Lauren. It's always great to see you. It's been a while. It has been. We, has we been. seem to run into each other once every couple of years. But exactly. Good to be here exactly. with you. Thank you for the invitation. Exactly. And you know what? We pick up right where we left off. So it's, Absolutely. it's always yeah. good. That's how friends and family are. So um, talk a little bit, fill in for everybody, uh, because there was a time where network marketing was not in your life. So where were you? Were, how were you introduced to network marketing? And what made you decide to say, yes, I'll do this? Yeah. When I thank you, when I when I got introduced to network marketing, it was at a time where there really were only I think only three books written about network marketing. Today, there's thousands. But I was um, in my 20s, early 20s, and I was walking down the street in Park Forest, Illinois, in my the neighborhood that I grew up in, um, between my home and my elementary school. 
and there was a garage sale and I went in there and there were some books and I saw a book called The Ten Napkin Presentation by Don Faila. And um, I don't know why, but the title got my attention and I pulled it out. It was a quarter and it was about network marketing and it taught me about residual income. I'd never been introduced to the idea of residual income. I didn't know what it was. But the thought of being able to get paid over and over again for working one time, that was appealing to me. So I skimmed the book. I grabbed it. I gave him a quarter, took the book and read it cover to cover in one sitting and got excited about this profession. And that was back in the early 80s when 90% of the population was 100% sure that network marketing was a scam. Today, and back then, if you didn't think network marketing was a scam, you were stupid. (laughs) <laughs> but today, it's the other way around. You know, today, 90% of the population knows that network marketing is legit. A lot's happened since then. There's thousands of books written about it. And there's, you know, lots and lots of people that have raised families on their network marketing income. And so um, I started, uh, I, I, I started, I left, um, I left um, Chicago when I was in my 20s with a guitar suitcase and 250 bucks. Moved to Arizona. I knew one person there, an ex-girlfriend, and I moved out there because there was a lot of building going on, and I had a degree in landscape architecture. So when I got to Arizona, I started applying for jobs, but I also saw opportunity ads, and I was more drawn to the opportunity stuff than I was the job stuff. But I did apply for jobs, and I got, I you know, I worked different jobs over the years, but I was dabbling in different network marketing opportunities. Most of them I saw in the newspaper and classified ads. And over the next uh, 10 years, while I was working my job, I, I would jump into different network marketing companies and I would buy their products and I would go to some of their seminars and I would rack up debt on my credit cards and I would read any, anything I could get my hands on, audio tapes I would listen to. And after 10 years, 11 different network marketing companies, I never signed up one person, not one, never made a penny. And then in um, 2000 and uh, I'm sorry, in 1992, late 1992, I joined my 12th company and that was the company that we met. And I did very well in that company, didn't I? Yes, you certainly did. You certainly did. And it was it was so much fun to learn and to watch you and attend events with you. You really introduced me to I was on the corporate side and you introduced me to the resources and materials and the education on the field side. I mean, I remember going to some of those first network marketing events with you. And um, that was that was a great eye opening experience yeah. for me, too. That was a lot of a lot of fun. Um, that's wonderful. I love that. Love your tenacity. Um, and I love it that. You know, it's we always compare, you know, just because you eat at a restaurant one time and you don't like that meal doesn't mean you're never going to eat at another restaurant again. But so often people are quick to, you know, easy in and easy out and quick to quick to quit network marketing um, when they might have not found the right one yet. And I just love that your story. I mean, imagine where you would be if you stopped at number five. Um, right. you know, <laughs> it's and, and, you know really, it, it, it wasn't even as much as finding the right company. I mean, that was part of it, but it was, it was more about me being ready. Mm-hmm. You know, I was preparing, I was reading the books and I was listening to the audios and I was going to the events and I spent a lot of money doing that. 
you know, $32,000, uh, $36,000 on 22 credit cards. Mm -hmm. Most of that was my education, my network marketing education. Mm -hmm. And it was really, it's cliche, but it's when opportunity and preparation come together. That's when things happen. And so, you know, when I joined my 12th company, it really wasn't so much the company. It was that I made a decision mm -hmm. that no matter what, if, if anyone was making money with that company, I was not going to quit. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I was faced with challenges, which we all are faced with challenges, whether we do it from company to company to company or whether we do it with one company, you're going to have challenges. The people that are, are willing to make a decision that the check, they're not going to let the challenges knock them out of the business. Yeah. And those are the ones that make it big. If you want to have a long-term residual income, you've got to pick a company and you got to stick with that company for the long haul. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Very much like investing in general. It, um, exactly. So, so uh, very good. You are the poster child for tenacious. That's for sure. I can't believe it was that long. So when you say that you were preparing, I think, um, you know, our goal is to kind of demystify network marketing to uh, people that don't understand it. So what have, what have you learned or what would you say are really the biggest differences between being an employee and being in network marketing? Yeah, so that's a great question. And Janine, we're somewhat kindred spirits because, you know, you're a flip flop, you're the flip flop CEO and I've been hearing about you for years. And have we ever really ever met? We have not. That's why I'm no, so honored. <laughs> your 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 title is so amazing. And there's just there's something about, you know, the title of my book and the title of your book that go together, you know. And uh, I've been hearing about your book for years and um it's just really great to finally meet you. So I was in corporate America for 17 years. I was in a cubicle and I hated the cubicle for years. I remember going in there thinking like, I, I think out of the, the 17 years that I was in corporate America, I had an office for two years, but the rest of the time I was in a cubicle. And I can remember the anxiety that I would feel where I wanted to do something else, but I couldn't because I had to go to work if I wanted to continue to get a paycheck. And I always had that dream of, having the freedom and it's cliche, but to be able to take a trip, if I want to take a trip and stay for as long as I want to stay, you know, if I want to go to the beach for a month, I could do that. And it was a dream back then, you know, and, and there was also a level, there was a, a, a significant amount of doubt as to whether I could even do it. I know everybody has that doubt, you know, you wonder if it's real and the more people I would meet, the more I would realize that it is real. I just need to, tap into it. I need to crack the code. And so one difference is in a job, in order for you to get paid or traditional business, even that, even that, you have to show up. But in network marketing, you get paid over and over again for working one time. So your job is to get something started. And by getting something started, you continue to get paid. So you accumulate an income stream. So the income you make five years ago continues to pay you today. The income you make four years ago continues to pay you today and so on and so forth, which gives you lifestyle freedom, which you can't get in a traditional. And I experienced that. I experienced that feeling of anxiety of wanting that, but not being able to get it. You know, so the best I could do is if I found a job paying a few dollars more per hour, but that wouldn't give me any freedom. Mm -hmm. And then in traditional business, the more successful you become, the less freedom you have. Yeah. Because now you have employees or multiple locations or mm -hmm. the more you success you have in traditional business, the less freedom you have. 
in network marketing, the more success you have, the more freedom you have. You know, when you get a team of people, an army of people out there that are doing all doing a little bit of work for their own family to make a residual check for their own family, you get a cut of what they do. And they don't do it for you. They do it for them. But you get to benefit. So I could talk about this for a really long time. I, I posted something on Facebook yesterday, I think, that said, somebody asked me, how much did you make your first year? And I can't answer that question because I'm still getting paid today on work that I did my first year. <laughs> what a great answer. 16 That's years true. later. Yeah. 16 years later. Yeah. 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 So what do you wish that you would have known when you started? Yeah, you know. I learned it wasn't, I didn't learn it right away, but it was the reason I kept quitting. If I had, if I kept quitting over and over and over again, every company I joined until I learned something just about people and and the nature of people. And I think we all intuitively know this, but until somebody actually points you to it and some points it out to you, you really don't see it. And that most people quit everything. So that's just the nature of people in general. So if you were to go to a gym and look at the, uh, the, the uh, what do they call it when you join a gym? membership roles of the gym and look at how many people join the gym on any given date and how many of them are still there six months later, how many of them are still going to the gym and paying their monthly? It's like very few. Mm-hmm. So for every, it's just the nature of people. For every hundred people that join a gym, 30 of them are going to never go to the gym, even though they're paying a membership fee. 30 of them are going to do a little bit. They'll go once a month or maybe twice a month. They'll think about, oh, I got to get to the gym. They'll go once and then they'll get sidetracked again. 30 of them will go regularly, but it won't be very often, like maybe once a week. And then there'll be one or two out of 100 that will actually go on a regular basis. And that's the same if you're a real estate broker and you have to hire agents to be successful, for every 100 agents that you hire, a third of them are going to quit immediately. They'll never sell a single home. A third of them will sell one one home a year, maybe two. A third of them will do a little more than that, maybe a few a year. But one person out of 100 or two, one or two out of 100, will do something significantly. So when when I was finally, when I learned this, I finally realized what I needed to do. I found out that for every 20 to 30 people in network marketing that I bring into the business, one of them is going to do something really significant, most likely. Not always, but most likely. A third of them will do nothing. A third of them will do a little. A third of them will do a little more than a little. And one, and you know what? To this day, I've met thousands, and I'm not just, this is not an exaggeration. Laura, you too. I've met thousands of successful network marketers. And I've, and some of them are, are big earners, like, you know, millions a year. And I've never met one that's been able to change those numbers because it's the nature of people. Right. So I'll bring, I'll do an event or I'll be at an event, let's say of generic, a generic event where there's hundreds or thousands of network marketers in the crowd. You've probably seen me do this, Laura, Mm -hmm. where I'll pull the most successful people out of the crowd. So let's say I pull 30. Uh, five and six figure monthly earners out of the crowd. And I'll put them up all on stage and I'll line them all up. And I don't know their story, but I take the microphone and I go one to the next to the next. And I ask them, how long have you been with your company? How many people have you personally signed up personally? And 95% of your income comes from how many of those people? And this is what everyone says. 
They've signed up over 100. They've been with their company for three to five years or more. Usually it's coming out to like one or two a month. You know, not a lot. Like if you're working at part time, you can do that if you're committed to it. So they bring in 100 people or more. They've been with their companies for three to five years or more. And 95% of their income is coming out of one to three legs. Mm-hmm. One to three legs. And and then if they've signed up 500 people and they've been with their company for 10 years, their income's coming out of three to five legs. Mm-hmm. That means most of the people that they sign up, a third of the people do nothing. And so like in my um, uh, in my last company, the one I was with you, I signed up 129 people in 13 years. There's 144 months in 13 years. And so that's less than one a month. Mm-hmm. And out of those out of those 129, there were five of them that were responsible for 95% of my income. 124 people either quit or became customers. Mm-hmm. That's just the nature of people. So if I had known that, it would have made my start easier. I probably wouldn't quit so many times. Yeah. Yeah. That is such a valuable lesson because that can feel so defeating, especially for an inexperienced person. And they don't realize that it doesn't matter how experienced you are. That's just the way it goes. And it's people. It's not you. It's people. People like to quit things, just like you'd say a gym. Um, Tell us a little bit. I love the story about the company you're with now and how you got introduced and uh, the, again, the persistence of um, how you got introduced. Yeah. So I started getting cards. Like I got cards in the mail from a guy that I didn't know. And I got over a period of a couple of weeks, I got five cards and a couple of them had DVDs in them. And I popped the DVD in and I watched it and it told the story, but it was a guy that was persistent and he really wanted to recruit me. And uh, I didn't respond to the first three cards he sent with the DVDs. I didn't respond. Um, and he called me a few times. I ignored it. I didn't call him back because, I, I mean, I wasn't interested. And he was trying to recruit me. But it, he did plant a seed. And then, you know, I watched the DVD. Finally, after getting a few of the same DVD in the mail, I finally watched it. And it told the story. And I liked the message. And it, it resonated with me. And so I contacted him. And he gave me a demo. And the rest is history. But there was a, he did have a level of persistence and he targeted me. Like he would, he wanted me in his business because, and I didn't know who he was, but he wanted me in his business because he had watched, he had watched me in my last company. Right. So, mm-hmm. and so he was just persistent in a, in a, not in a, not in an obnoxious or aggressive right. way, but he was just persistent. Yeah. Well, that consistency pays off. You know, so many times people feel like a no response is a no. And a lot of times in our society, especially with people's schedules these days, no response is just not right now. I'm too busy to even look at it. Um, But because he was persistent, then it paid off because wouldn't everybody love to enroll a Jordan Adler? So that's uh, fantastic and good for him. I just love that he was persistent and he didn't give up after the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time. It was the fifth or sixth time that he got you. And, yeah. and I think the story goes that it wasn't just you. There were a couple of other Jordan Adlers he was communicating right. with <laughs> as well. Yeah, he didn't know. He didn't know that I was the right Jordan Adler. So he was doing, he was sending it to a couple of other Jordan Adlers as well. Oh, wow. And yeah. And uh, finally, I did respond. But I have read this and I, I, apply, I apply this to my business is that typically it takes three to five touch points before somebody will make a decision to say yes. So if you just uh, message them and that's, that's it, or if you message them and show them the business and you never talk to them again, 
because they weren't interested or they, you know, pushed you away or whatever, you, you're li- a lot of times you're losing those opportunities. So what I teach people is whether it be a phone call, a text message, a card, a, um, a book that you mail them, um, an invitation to an event or, or Zoom, each one of those count as a touch point. And you're looking at typically five to eight touch points before somebody pulls the trigger. There's rare circumstances where somebody will pull the trigger right away or after the second or third, but those are unusual. Right. And so the people that do that are the ones that win. Mm-hmm. I love the way you um, you were so analytical with the business that you really, it seems like you just really study all the numbers and you've just got all of this down. It, that, that definitely I'm well, sure has served you, you well. Mean, I, I've told, well, I've told the story many times and I have the, it was first I had the experience, then I had the numbers. Like I didn't, it wasn't something that I was, so here's what I did. I, I, I drew a grid on in the, in the enclosed garage that I lived in. I actually drew a grid on the wall, a three foot by four foot grid. And, and I, and I would write a date every time I would show the business. So I just write the date knowing that for every, my goal was for every 12 people I showed it to, I was going to sign up. Uh, my goal was to sign up one out of 12. So I figured if I showed it three times a week, I would sign up one person a month for a couple of years. That's 24 people, right? Two years, one a month, 24 people, knowing that out of 24 is in the range of 20 to 30. So I was like shooting for that, but I really didn't pay it close. I didn't pay so the only thing I really played, paid close attention to was did I show it three times a week? Mm-hmm. I knew the rest would fall into place, and it did. Yeah, that's amazing. So you've, you've been with a few different companies um, before you joined the company that you're now with um, very successfully. What advice would you give to someone that is looking at this business? You know, what, how should they find a company? What should they look for? Yeah. So what I did when, when the last company I was with, the one that Laura was with, the the two of us were there together, they went out of business uh, because of a change that happened with technology. It didn't have to do with our company. It had to do with the marketplace. And because of the way we were positioned with technology, we weren't able to fail. We weren't able to survive. Be almost like if we had a record player company and somebody invented the the CD, right? It's like that. So um, I was, um, I was getting, because of what had happened in that company and the success that I'd had, there were lots of people around the world that were trying to contact me because they wanted to recruit me. Not just me, but all the other top earners. In fact, there were even people that were selling the list, our, our, our contact information all around the world to people in network marketing, selling it multiple times, thousands of times, so that people had our names and phone numbers and email addresses and addresses so they could get in touch with us to try and recruit us. And so it, within a matter of literally a day, a couple of days, I had to just shut everything down. I closed my computer, shut off my phone and just made a decision that I was going to, rather than somebody trying to recruit me, I was going to go recruit the company. I was going to find the company that's the best fit for me. So I started writing down what I was looking for. And for it's different for everyone because everybody has a different um, risk tolerance level. For some people, they like the thrill of the newness of a brand new company. But also when you join a brand new company that's only been around for a few months or even in pre-launch, 
there's a very high likelihood that company's not going to be around. But at the same time, because you joined at the beginning, you get the rush of the explosion of growth. But then it's almost like mutual funds versus a, a startup stock, right? On the other hand, there's companies that have been around for many, many years, 20, 30, 40 years that you know are going to be there forever. You know they're going to pay residual checks for years to come. But the growth, the rate of growth is slower. So what I decided is I wanted a company, this is just for me, I wanted a company that had already had at least a year and a half, maybe even two years of stability. So I knew there was a big upside, but I knew that it was going to be, that there was a better likelihood that it would be around. They're not really a startup um, and they still have that upside. But also I was looking for a leader, a CEO that had had really great integrity in the marketplace. Like he didn't have any black eyes along the way, hadn't filed bankruptcy a bunch of times. Um, you know, I was, so I was looking for a leader that had a vision that could communicate the vision that was mission driven, not just about money. If it's all about money, those aren't long lasting companies. If it's about mission, those are long lasting companies. Those are legacy companies. So, um, and then I had specific ideas about the compensation plan that I was interested in. Although there's not one right answer to that, mm-hmm. there's there's lots of different types of compensation plans. I just had one that was I was most comfortable with that I wanted to work with him. Mm-hmm. So that's a tougher one because, and I'm not an expert on compensation plans at all, but that's a tougher one to to, to navigate. You know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, we say that too. We we talk about you know those are the things to to look for and to consider and compensation is an important piece, but it it's, you know, it can vary. And um, so we hear you about that. Hey, what advice would you give to someone who feels stuck and maybe like yeah. want to quit? Like maybe they're thinking this isn't working for me. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. What advice? Do right. You give? Yeah. Let me just share one more thing about the compensation plan discussion real briefly in that Every company has a certain amount of money that they have to work with to, they got to run the company, they got to have profit and they got to pay their distributors, right? So, so they've got, so they have to split that up. And most companies, when you figure it out, they, all of them split it up pretty much evenly, right? A third of the money goes to run the company. A third of the money um, is profit and a third of the money goes to the distributors. And that's pretty much how it's laid out. So it's just really finding one that you're comfortable with that you can understand. So, okay. So um, what if somebody's stuck? Um, and first of all, you have to know that everybody is stuck and unstuck and stuck and unstuck all the time, everybody. And getting stuck does not mean that you need to leave your company. That just means that you've got lessons to learn. You're going to learn them. Either you're not going to learn them and you're not going to make it, or you're going to learn them in a company. And every time you learn some something you'll break through to the next level, or you'll just bounce from company to company and never have a residual check. Mm -hmm. So I would say that the most important thing is don't quit on a bad day because you're always going to have bad days. That's the first thing. I've had thousands of bad days over my career, probably hundreds of bad days in my current company, but I've got a I, commitment that I'll never quit on a bad day. And then what happens is you have a good day and you don't want to quit. The second thing that's important is to stay in action, even on days that you don't feel like working. So like you can't make your decisions to build the business based on how you're feeling. 
If you're making your decisions based on how you're feeling, you're never going to make it because, and this is for any business, because we're human and our emotions go up and they go down. There's many days that we just don't feel like working. We're depressed. We're angry. We're sidetracked. You know, we're just, our, we're, our emotions are all over the place. But you make your decisions based on what you're committed to. Those are the people that do well. So you will, sir, you will be well served, even if you only worked your business an hour or two that day, to work even if you're not feeling it. It's hard. I mean, I've got a helicopter pilot's license. It's the hardest thing I ever learned to do in my life. I got my helicopter pilot's license in my 50s. Nobody does that. <laughs> and there were hundreds of times, literally multiple times a day sometimes, that I would go, I would focus on the dream and get really excited and then get I'm really depressed because I started going, you know what, this is never going to happen for me because I can't do it. It's too hard. And there were times where I would trick myself into thinking that it's not possible for me to get my license. And so I'd get really depressed and not want to go down to the helicopter school and take my next lesson. But I forced myself to go. Like one more lesson, one more lesson. Mm -hmm. And it was like just every time I got stuck or stopped or there was a wall that came, there was a wall that was up in front of me. I had to bust through that wall. And the only way to do it was to just set aside those feelings and just go do it. And when you get on the other side of it, you feel so good. Yeah. I mean, there were so many hard things that I needed to learn to fly a helicopter, things that took hours to learn. And the first 10 times you do it, you're like, there's no possible way I will ever be able to learn to do this. I'm so bad. But you do as long as you keep going back. That's how it is in your business. But just know that everyone, no exception, everybody goes through that. Yeah. You, um, my husband is a pilot and um, wow. I've talked to him about the fact that you fly a helicopter and he has just explained to me how very, very difficult that is. So it's, I, different. it's different than flying a plane. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. So kudos to you. Thank so, you. so you have, um, you get to hang out with a lot of top uh, leaders because of your, you being a top leader and you guys hang out together. What, what would you say, what have you learned is, is maybe a common trait or factor in the people that become really successful in this business versus those that, that don't? So if you're taking notes, write some of this stuff down. The first thing is they're really, really fun people. They like to have fun. Yes. Um, they, they, they don't treat things so seriously. There's very few of them that do. Most of them like laugh a lot and they have fun and it's light. And because it's light and fun, other people are attracted to that. That's the first thing. Um, the second thing is they're not shy about sharing their dreams. They're not, sh they're, they're dream expanders. They don't just expand their own dreams, but they help other people expand theirs. Uh, the third thing is they are hard workers, but they always find time for play. So they schedule their work time and they schedule their play time. Um, the fourth thing is they are problem solvers, not quitters. They're resourceful. They're problem solvers, not quitters. So they, they, when they're faced with a challenge, they don't throw in the towel. They, put their brains together and figure out what they need to do to fix it or get through it or go around it or go over it or go under it or, you know, whatever. And that's hard sometimes. I know, like, it's like, 
I, I'm facing even. In fact, the bigger game you play, every time you you stretch and you and you play a, start to play a bigger game, you're confronted. You start to resist. You start to get resigned. You start to question. You start to doubt. You start to make excuses, and then you go, "No, that's not the game I'm playing. If I want to, if I want to play a bigger game, I need to stretch and figure it out." That means sometimes working through it, even though you don't know what you're doing, right? So. Those are some qualities, I think. Yeah, that's that the is best so list I've heard. That's a great list. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So Thank good. You, so, hey, just closing, uh, Jordan, um, we like to ask a couple of fun questions at closing. So, okay. tell us what is something that is making your life easier? What's something that you're loving these days? Well, making my life easier. Could be technology, could be a book, a gadget. Well, yeah, I mean, I, when I, I mean, the, I mean, the truth be told, like, technology is like so freeing, right? Because you can be anywhere, you know, as long as there's a Wi-Fi connection, you can be anywhere and build your business. I love just, you know, being on the Vegas Strip here, up in the mountains in the forest, just being able to sit on my phone and do business while I'm on my phone and while I'm in multitasking. I love that. Throughout the day, I can just do that. That freedom, the freedom that comes with that, I really, I like that. But um, what came to mind, I've got a project going on that I'm super excited, really excited about. That's really a dream expander. It's really to give people, it's not a huge moneymaker, but it, it gives people a story. To, it gives people a story that they'll tell for the rest of their life. Yeah. I'm, I'm launching a company where I'm going to be taking, on a, you know, you know how it is, Laura, the first time you were on a private jet. How exciting that was! Do you remember that? Yes. Was that with Was that with Joe and Connie? I think it might have been with Kenny. It was with Kenny. Kenny, yeah. So you get an invitation to go on a private jet because you're not going to spend tens of thousands of dollars on your own unless you've got that money. Mm -hmm. And you go and you realize there's a whole nother world out there, a <laughs> bigger world, right? And and it expands your vision and it gets you excited because you see what's possible. And so over the course of the past 25 years, I've leased private jets as I became more and more successful. And I decided to create something where I would give people an opportunity to fly on a private jet with me, Mr. Beach Money. And we'll do some training. We'll do some masterminding on the jet. We'll go to the beach. We'll have lunch at the beach, a nice catered lunch at the beach and, and spend the whole day. But it'll be like a one-day experience. Leave in the morning on a private jet, get picked up in a nice limo, go to the beach and so I put that all together and, and we sold out two of them. Uh, the next one is on January 9th and I'm going to do those on a regular basis. And uh, it's a lot of fun because it helps people can take video and pictures for their social media. Yeah. They can use it as incentives for their team, that kind of thing. If they want to do it, some type of an incentive trip. So uh, I've been doing that and having fun with it. That's, That's a lot of lately. fun. What a great idea. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Hopefully you'll come to our beach here in Charleston sometime. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So the last question goes back to your book, Beach Money, and that you're giving the profits to charity. Tell us more about what what you like to give back to. I love it that people in this industry um, are able to generate income, but I also find a common uh, common quality of being generous and giving back. Yeah, um, so absolutely. I love that you're doing that with Beach Money. Tell us more about what that is. Yeah, so for 12 years now, I've been giving 100% of the profits from Beach Money to a group, an organization called Kiva, kiva.org. And it's a fascinating um, website. You should check it out. And Jessica Jackley was one of the co-founders. She's got a TED Talk. Get your 
box of Kleenex out. When you watch it, it's only 12 minutes. Uh, she, have you seen that, Laura? Mm-hmm. Jessica Jackley on, on TED. She's one of the co-founders of Kiva and Kiva is a micro lending organization. They, they give money to, um, entrepreneurs in developing countries that want to start businesses. And since Beach Money is an, a book for entrepreneurs, I thought it would be just appropriate to, uh, it was an idea that I got from an ex-girlfriend who's still a friend today. And she, she had this idea and I thought that's a great idea. So let's give the money to an organization that helps biz, helps people that want to start businesses in developing countries. You know, and so we've we've helped thousands of um, entrepreneurs start businesses all over the world through the sale of beach money. I love that. That is such a great uh, ties in so well. That is great. Yeah. What a what a great thing to end on. Uh, I know you've given folks a few things to take notes on and to go uh, take a look at. And um, Jordan, you are just a delight. Um, I've always Thank enjoyed you. working with you and working for you at, at, at places. And I um, I'm so glad and thankful for our friendship. So thank you so. I, much. I feel I feel the same way, Laura. Thank you for the invitation to be on the podcast. And Janine, same. So nice to meet you. I need to go back and reread uh, the Flip Flop CEO. So nice to meet you, Jordan. It was just a pleasure. You are truly a rock star. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. We hope you've gained some clarity from today's show. If you did, please share it with your friends, family, and colleagues. Because when you share it and drop a review, it helps other people find us and helps us get this message out. Please join us each week to hear from people who are in the trenches and have their own personal experience with this business. And if you'd like to learn more about this topic, subscribe to our show and visit our website. We'd also like to recommend two books co-authored by Janine Finney and her daughter, Lori Murhead, The Flip Flop CEO and Does the Shoe Fit? The Guide to Help You Decide. We invite you to join our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn communities as well. Be sure to tune in to our next episode because making a decision with only half the information could be the most expensive mistake you can make.